Welcome to Hoosier Ag This Week, as we bring you the top news stories in Indiana agriculture from this past week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today, and I'll be joined by Andy Eubank and Eric Pfeiffer a little later. Plus, Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin will have your Indiana farm forecast in just a bit. Coming up with a Chinese spy balloon that recently flew across the U.S., your lawmakers in Washington are concerned the Chinese ownership of American farmland constitutes a national security issue. That story is on the way. Also, President's Day is coming up Monday. And we'll take a look back at President Ronald Reagan and his contributions to the ag industry. You'll hear from an Indiana ag leader who met President Reagan at the White House not once, but twice. But first, the National Farm Machinery Show was held this past week in Louisville, which is the largest indoor farm show in the country. I made the trip down south to the show to see if supply chain issues for new equipment have improved since last year's farm show. I would say that overall things are improving. They're not without hiccups. So there's still times that you run into some supply chain challenges. And that's Joe Miller, tractor marketing manager with Case IH. He says his company has been working to overcome supply chain issues. We've got a dedicated team to mitigate those as, as fast as possible. But you will still run into some time to time where, you know, it's um, it's a little bit more difficult to get a, a part or a component, but it's not as widespread as it was, say, earlier on at, at the um, onset of the pandemic. He says Case IH has been working to catch up on its inventory of their smaller sized equipment that is more readily available and on display at your local dealerships. You'll notice when you go to your local dealer you're going to see more particularly um, under 140 horsepower tractors are going to be more widely available. Those are the ones that historically have been more sold out of inventory, right? They, they tend to exist that way and not, not pre-sold to the same degree as some of the bigger ones. Um, but when you get into the bigger horsepowers, that's when, again, it's it's a, a lot of strong uh, demand from customers. And as such, you know, that's a more of a pre-sale. So the inventory is still uh, pretty tight. But he adds it's still a matter of supply and demand. And since the demand is still strong for new equipment, that's an overall positive for both Case IH and the ag industry. Yeah, it's, it's great to be in a, a strong market. We're also, you know, our, our forecasting and uh, being able to bring new products forward with an understanding of, you know, what the supply base needs to be for that. We're just mindfully attacking every single one of those things. Read more about how supply chain issues have improved for Case IH at HoosierAgToday.com. Well, getting everyone to agree on something is very difficult to do in politics, but freshman state representative Kendall Culp was able to pull that off with his first bill introduced in the Indiana House. House Bill 1557, a bill that would inventory the farmland we've lost in Indiana over the past 12 years, passed the House last week with 97 to 0 vote. Culp says the bill is a first step in addressing concerns about food security. We've come through the pandemic and we've seen times where we've seen empty shelves in um, the grocery stores we've really never seen before in this country. And so it, it has kind of reemerged that, that food security issue. So a lot of folks are in tune to this and they're, they're seeing farmland that's, that's disappearing or being paved over and it's a big concern to them. Because of those concerns, Culp says a number of people have approached him saying we need a strong farmland preservation program 
here in Indiana. And so as I considered that, I really thought we really need the data to see how serious of a problem this is or if it's just a perceived problem. Um, as you know, farmers become more efficient and productive every year, really raising more with less. And so maybe we're already raising more even though we're losing more land and maybe it's not a big issue. Before we can have a strong, robust program, I think we need that data. The Indiana State Department of Agriculture will be tasked with compiling the data. They testified in support of the bill during its committee hearing. The State Department of Agriculture, again, they seem to be really excited about this. Um, it's a matter of collecting that data and then presenting it, and they have um, until July 1st of 2024 to come up with that. So we would be looking in two years, the next long session, if there will be some sort of follow-up legislation, it would be at that time. Culp has also authored House Bill 1132 that would create a land use task force. It passed out of the House Commerce Committee last week. Hear more about these bills in the full hat interview with Culp at HoosierAgToday.com. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. Thank you, Eric. Well, speaking of your Indiana lawmakers, they're working now at the State House to put together the state's budget here for the next two years. Meanwhile, several ag groups are pushing for additional funding from that state budget for Purdue's Animal Disease Diagnostic Laboratory. Indiana is so rich in agriculture that the lab plays a very critical role in maintaining and helping grow the agriculture in our state. And that's Dr. Kenitra Hendricks, director of the Indiana Animal Disease Diagnostic Laboratory at Purdue's campus, or ADDL for short. She says the lab supports Indiana's ag industry by testing for diseases that impact animal production, including avian influenza in poultry and African swine fever in hogs. The role that ADDL plays is quick, rapid response to any sort of concern on an animal production facility. We respond rapidly and perform those diagnostic tests so that appropriate decisions can be made at the farm level. That's why Dr. Hendricks says more funding is needed to hire additional staff to quickly turn around those testing results. And so we are the state agency that provides these testing not only to identify the positives so that the producers can mitigate those positive results, but also it's very important when we have the negative results because that allows business to continue even in um, the midst of an outbreak. She adds that ADDL needs to upgrade its computer hardware and software systems to better help support Indiana's multi-billion dollar animal industries. The funding will help us to be more cutting edge with our technology and specifically since you mentioned and uh, the computer systems, it's very important that we get the funding so we can upgrade our laboratory information management system, which is the way the clients interact with the lab through sample submission to receiving their results, and that will greatly enhance our clients' experience with the lab. Last year, the Indiana ADDL conducted over 12,000 PCR tests for avian influenza. Read more about the need for additional funding for the Indiana Animal Disease Diagnostic Laboratory at Purdue's campus at HoosierAgToday.com. It's time now to bring in Andy Eubank with your Friday Farm Market Review. Thank you, CJ. During the week, we had some up and down markets, but it was very flat on Friday going into a three-day weekend. Settlements from Friday trade coming up. First market analysis with Brian Basting, economist at Advanced trading kind of a back and forth uh, andy with regards to the to the weather in south america you got some some mixed signals being seen down there it is going to be sounds like over the next week a, a drier in argentina but quite cool for a few days here and then warm up again and then they're saying rain next weekend the weekend of february 24th and 5th and 6th in contrast to that where harvesting has taken place up in northern brazil uh, rapid harvest uh, the last uh, week 
but it sounds like some ample rain is going to slow things down starting later this weekend in the next week in that region. And why that's important is because that safinia corn is being planted in Mato Grosso. That is the largest producing state of, of safinia corn in the country of Brazil. It is Mato Grosso. So we, we've got some moving pieces here, just a lot of uncertainty about how that's going to shake out. And as you said a moment ago, a three-day weekend won't start again until 8 o'clock Monday night. So as we've seen the last few weekends, a lot can happen over, over a three-day weekend, both um, in South America and in the Black Sea and, and even stretching that into in relations with China. So that's kind of been the case all week here, just back and forth, kind of in a trading range. Um, watching the export market, too, there have been some signs of, of life to the corn export market, but it certainly feels at this point that, that barring a robust corn export program the second half of the crop year, it, 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 a strong case could be made the USDA is still too high with their annual corn export estimate here in the U.S. And Brian, during the week, a slew of economic reports. Yeah, really kind of a mixed bag. We've got uh, inflation is slowing, but but much slower than, than most would like, needless to say. That is Brian Basting, economist, and he is with Advanced Trading. His number, 309-664-2314. It's the Hat Farm Market Review. Friday settlements going into a three-day weekend. March corn up a penny and three quarters, 677 and three quarters. May goes to six. 677 and a half up two and a half cents up just three quarters march soybeans 1527 and a quarter and may 1522 and a quarter up an even penny up a half cent on the march wheat at 765 and a half livestock mixed april live cattle 164.65 up 57 and friday's hog market traded lower before turning and going the other way april settles at 8527 down a half dollar markets on president's day monday will be closed. Much more still to come on the weekend show. I'm Andy Eubank. This is Hoosier Ag This Week. A new year and another crop. It's time to get more bushels for less. It's time to fight back with Maristem Crop Performance and Spring Applied Excavator. Excavator, powered by Microbolize, breaks residue down fast, unleashing big nutrients for your next crop. Research shows yield increases of four to nine bushels per acre, depending on your operation. Fight back with the right tools, like Excavator, from Maristem Crop Performance. Find your local dealer at maristemag.com. Temperatures starting to moderate here as we move through the weekend. I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with Hoosier Ag Today's Weekend weather outlook. After a quick drop in temperatures to finish the week behind a frontal boundary, we're going to be seeing those temperatures ease in the next 24 to 48 hours. Now, a chilly start here for sure on Saturday, but temperatures are going to moderate as south winds come up the backside of high pressure that is currently pushing off to the east. So I'm saying mostly trouble-free weather for your weekend here, Saturday and Sunday. That trouble-free weather will continue into Monday as well, partly to mostly sunny skies guys there. Tuesday sees a little bit of an increase in cloud cover. Minor low pressure area down near the Ohio River in southern Ohio, and that's going to trigger some hit and miss scattered showers, Kentucky, Tennessee, West Virginia. And then north, we've got an area of low pressure coming through Ontario. That's triggering a little bit of light snow shower activity up there. You can see that we're stuck in between, so plenty of clouds around for Tuesday, but I don't think we have significant precipitation threat. Then Wednesday, we're looking at increasing and thickening 
evening clouds ahead of our next weather system. That thing kicks out of the central plains overnight Wednesday night through Thursday. Rain right now is what we're looking at over all of Indiana as the low has moved significantly far enough north that we stay in the warm sector. I'm going to say quarter to one inch rainfall totals over 100% of Indiana. The biggest moisture coming between sunset Wednesday and sunrise Thursday. We dry slot for most of Thursday but can see a few additional showers here and there. Then we get into a very interesting pattern from Friday of next week, that's the 24th, all the way through the flip of the calendar into March. We're seeing a striation of air masses across the U.S. Basically, I'm going to use I-70 as the dividing line, give or take a few miles either way. But here's what I'm saying. We see cold air generally getting locked up to the north of I-70 and warm air settling down to the south of I-70. And then this clash creates a little bit of a battle zone. And we're going to be dealing with that battle zone off and on through next weekend and on through the following week. And as the warm air surges north, chances of precipitation develop as the two air masses collide. The cold air pushes farther south. We get into a drier pattern. So I think we can kind of yo-yo back and forth with regard to temperatures and some moisture. That leads to, I think, a Sunday setup, the 25th, where we can see some showers and thunderstorms moving over, especially central and southern Indiana, but even maybe getting up toward the Michigan line on a warm air surge. Quarter to one and a half inch rainfall totals there. And then as we go into the following week, that cold air pushes farther south. So our moisture goes down into Kentucky, Tennessee, and the deep south. That yo-yoing back and forth is going to be likely the pattern all the way through the turn of the month into March. I'm Ryan Martin. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. Acre Pro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local Acre Pro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. If you were looking for the latest news in Indiana and U.S. agriculture, you landed in the right spot. If that's not what you were looking for, stick around anyway. It'll be good information. You're listening to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today. Spring planting is fast approaching. Gosh, maybe six weeks or less away. And that means making preparations now to save you time when you do hit the fields. C.J. Miller has more now from the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville earlier this week on several things to keep in mind before planting begins. We have to have a plan A to have a plan B or C or potentially Z like some springs kind of bring us. And that's Travis Coleman, field sales agronomist with Bex Hybrids. He says it's not only about having your seed and chemicals on hand, but also making sure your planting equipment is in top shape. Yeah, so number one, I would just make sure we have all our inputs in the barn and ready to go. And then I'd focus on planter prep, make sure those preventative maintenance pieces are worked through, you know, thinking about chains and making sure they're replaced and anything that's broken or worn, we're replacing those, double disc openers, making sure they're adjusted correctly. Even though it was a late start to planting last year because of wet conditions, Coleman says the sooner your planting preparations are knocked out, the better. Yeah, my challenge is always to have planters and equipment ready April 1st. Sometimes conditions aren't fit across the entire field, so that 70-30 rule is kind of a good rule of thumb. 70% of the acres are good. Uh, we might push those 30%, but ultimately field conditions play a big part in high 
high yield, whether that's corn or soybeans. So making sure we should be out there and the ground is fit for planting uh, is ideal. And I would say that probably is a greater aspect to yield than planting date. Coleman adds that if your planting preparations are already taken care of, then check out the practical farm research studies at BexHybrids.com. Reporting from the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, I'm C.J. Miller. The U.S. Department of Agriculture expects farm income to decline this year. Their February farm income report shows that net farm income, a broad measure of farm profitability, is currently forecasted $137 billion this year. Farm Bureau economist Danny Munch says that represents a $26 billion decline from last year. And that $26 billion decline erases the $22 billion gain that farmers were expected to receive between 2021 and 2022. So a big drop from last year, but we're still above the prior 10-year average, which is a good thing. As you can imagine, a big part of that decline in net farm income stems from increasing input costs. The report expects farm and ranch production expenses to continue to increase by $18.2 billion or 4% over last year. That's already on top of a $70 billion increase from last year. Much of those increases are linked to marketing and transportation expenses, interest expenses, which are going to increase as the Fed attempts to fight inflation, and labor costs, which are increasing across the board. Munch says debt in the farm sector is also expected to increase to a record $535 billion. Most of that's tied up in the form of real estate debt, mainly because farm real estate continues to increase in value. This really just means that the, the value of assets regularly being purchased with debt is rising. So it'll be increasingly important for farmers and ranchers to pay down debt and maintain that healthy balance sheet. And that's going to be ever more cumbersome as interest rates increase well into the next few years. You can get more details on this on the Market Intel page on Farm Bureau's website. You can find a link at HoosierAgToday.com. The farmed fish industry, aquaculture, has become huge across the globe. And Eubank is here now with details on how huge and what it means for Indiana farmers. Farmed fish is now bigger than all land-based meat with the exception of poultry. That's Jeff Johnson, president of Benson Hill Seeds. Farmed fish is also bigger than wild-caught fish. The scope of aquaculture represents a major opportunity for farmers who can grow the right soybeans. Soybean meal from commodity soybeans upsets the stomachs of salmon and trout. Currently, they're having to take soy protein concentrate from Brazil, which is extra processed, has a big environmental footprint, and use that. What we're able to do with the stuff we can grow in Indiana and surrounding states is harvest that through one step of processing. It already has the anti-nutritional, so it doesn't need the second step of processing. And it's at a high enough level of protein more than just commodity soybeans that the salmon can use it directly. That means that market can get that cheaper because it doesn't have that second step of processing at a significantly less environmental footprint from a water usage and carbon footprint because it doesn't need that second concentration step. The opportunity in this area is to grow those specialty soybeans with the higher protein and have a ready-made market. The farmers that grow that can receive up to a $5 premium per bushel for growing that. So because of the value we're sharing, there's more value to share back with our farmer partners. They're critical to us because their fields become that second open-air factory. It's actually concentrating that protein in the plant in the field and creating that value that we're able to process in our Seymour, Indiana production facility, crush facility, 
and then ship that, whether that's going to salmon in the U.S. or going to Norway to the farmed fish. The market continues to grow, providing that robust demand. Johnson says aquaculture is the fastest growing food production sector in the world. Benson Hill has human food and animal feed products available too. Growers still have time to contract acres for production in 2023. We would provide that seed to the grower. They grow that on their farm with their management techniques. We then take all of that harvest back into our production facilities, our processing facilities, crush that, and then provide those specialty food ingredients. The best way to find details is to visit BensonHillFarmers.com. I'm Andy Eubank. All right, Andy, thanks. After the recent news of the Chinese spy balloon that flew over the U.S., there are now renewed heightened concerns about Chinese ownership of American farmland and whether foreign ownership of farmland is a national security issue. C.J. Miller has the story. Republican Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, who also serves as a member of the Senate Ag Committee, says he's introduced a bill that would include the USDA in the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, or CFIUS for short. CFIUS made a decision that they didn't have any authority to stop China from buying farmland in uh, North Dakota, which seems to be very close to some of our military facilities. Now, I'm not saying that I know for sure there's a connection to our national security and Chinese buying that farmland. Grassley fears that more U.S. farmland could fall into China's hands in the future. Nearly half of U.S. farmland is owned by Americans over 65 years of age. So that means in the next 20 years, it could be up to 370 million acres of farmland could be changing hands. Grassley adds that a bill enacted last year is aimed at keeping tabs of foreign land ownership. Under the bill, USDA is required to build an interactive database to show foreign ownership disclosures, and the USDA will report to Congress on the impact of these investments. According to the USDA, in 2019, China, Russia, and Iran together own 200,000 acres here in the U.S. I'm C.J. Miller. And I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today. More to come here on The Weekend Show, including an update on how commodities are moving through the U.S. inland waterway system following the drought last fall. This is Hoosier Ag This Week. Welcome back to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today. Well, you may remember last fall, the drought conditions across the Midwest brought down the water levels along the Ohio and Mississippi rivers, which made it difficult for vessels to transport grain and other ag products. But Eric Pfeiffer reports there have been some improvements over the past several months. Some of these vessels had to be dug out or just simply had to wait until water levels rose. And so they were just sitting there with soybeans or other agricultural products waiting for water levels to rise. And that's Mike Steenhook, executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, talking about the drought of 2022. He says some much-needed precipitation has commodities moving again. When you look at Memphis, Tennessee, for example, which was arguably one of the ground zero locations for the low water conditions last fall, we're currently at 10 and a half feet. Last year at this time, we were at 19 feet, so we're below where we were last year. But just to give that some perspective, in, in late October, we were at almost a negative 11 feet. We're easily 20 plus feet better now than we were 
in late October. So that's a, a significant increase. While levels have begun to rise, there's still a long way to go to get back to normal levels in the inland waterway system. We have returned to a healthy degree of normalcy, but it won't take a lot of sustained dry conditions to all of a sudden tip us back into low water conditions, which can impact navigation, particularly in that critical area of St. Louis to Cairo, Illinois. Cairo is significant because that's where the Ohio River meets up with the Mississippi River and provides a big influx of water into the systems. And while levels aren't quite where shippers want them to be, Steenhook says goods are moving regularly up and down the waterways for now. The concern is we don't have a lot in the tank. If we did have a sustained period of dry weather, it could really tip us back into lower water conditions, which would then impede navigation. Steenhook adds that soy export volumes are very comparable, even a bit higher this year versus the same period last year which he says is really good news. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. Well, since Monday is President's Day, we'd like to profile President Ronald Reagan and his contributions to the ag industry. I had the chance to chat with one Indiana ag leader who had the honor of meeting President Reagan at the White House 40 years ago. I know things have been rough and still are for many farmers, but I hope when you go back to your homes, you'll tell your families and your friends that America's farmers are not going to be left out of the good times that lie ahead. That was President Reagan in July 1983, delivering those remarks in the White House Rose Garden to the National FFA. Standing just within feet of the president during that speech was Bruce Kettler. At the time, Kettler was serving as National FFA Eastern Region Vice President from Ohio, and he got the chance to meet President Reagan at the White House not once, but twice. We met him in December after we were elected in November, uh, met him in the Oval Office. And uh, I just remember at the time the gentle nature of him as a person. Uh, he was very interested in, in learning and understanding and knowing more about FFA and what we were interested in accomplishing in our year as national officers. And then in July of the following year, July of 1983, during State President's Conference, uh, when we had all the state presidents and state officers into Washington, D.C., we met with him in the Rose Garden and uh, we had an opportunity to be able to learn from him there. Kettler is now president and CEO of the Agribusiness Council of Indiana. He had also recently served as director of the Indiana State Department of Agriculture. When Reagan first became president, more American farmers were losing their farms than at any time since the Great Depression of the 1930s. I mean, there were a lot of people that grew up on farms that I think would certainly want to have gone back to the farm, but knew that with the high prices, uh, high inflation, and things that were going on in the early into the mid-80s, that wasn't going to be a reality for them. Reagan established a number of economic policies that supported America's ag industry, including the need for sustained credit and cash flow to farmers, as well as pushing for increased exports for America's ag products. Kettler adds that Reagan not only supported the American farmer, but future farmers as well. What I've always appreciated about him as a president was he understood the importance of two things, food and agriculture and youth and he really appreciated what FFA could do to develop the youth that would then go serve in food and agriculture and of course other areas as well. During that speech that Kettler witnessed back in 1983, 
President Reagan gave this parting message to the FFA and America's farmers. Remember that back at the time the ideals of our nation emerged, it was composed overwhelmingly of men and women who made their living from the land. Today we rely on you to maintain our ties to the land and to live up to our ideals, and I know you won't let us down. Read more about President Reagan's impact on the ag industry at HoosierAgToday.com. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Hoosier Ag This Week. For Andy Eubank, Eric Pfeiffer, and Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin, I'm C.J. Miller, Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's most listened to farm radio network.